Well, good morning. If you would, you can go ahead and get your Bibles out and turn to the book of 2 Chronicles. We're going to be in chapter 26. And if you don't have a Bible, you're more than welcome to use the Pew Bible that's in front of you. Uh, Our text this morning is going to be on page 337. You can take that home with you if you'll read it. I'll give you guys a moment to turn there and then we'll pray. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and we are so thankful to be able to gather together to study your word. We ask that um, because you are so faithful, Lord, we just ask that you would help us receive from your word this morning, that you would speak to us. God, out of all the things I say, if anything is not true or bad, just let people forget that. Um, Let us take the goodness from your word, all the truth, and help us apply it to our lives so that we can be able to live a life that is pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever uh, witnessed somebody rise to power only to fall from grace a moment later? In our day when it seems like everywhere we look we can see a corrupt politician finally get caught, um, a top-charting musician facing prison time, or even a pastor disciplined out of the church? I'd be pretty shocked if you haven't even recently seen someone rise to power and then crash and burn like that. One popular Bible verse explains well why this happens so often. It's Proverbs 16.8. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This verse is so popular, in fact, that I think it's lost a lot of its gusto. When it comes to mind, I don't know that it carries the full weight that it deserves. But in this morning's text, as we study the story of King Uzziah, we're going to see why this proverb is not just a suggestion that might benefit us, but it's a warning that will protect us from our eternal destruction. I have four points for you this morning. Point number one, Uzziah's position. Point number two, Uzziah's prosperity. Point number three, Uzziah's pride. And point number four, Uzziah's punishment. And I'll give those to you again as we go through. So point number one, Uzziah's position. If you've ever read any type of review online, you know that almost all of them are meant to just simply provide a summary of whatever it is they're reviewing. Whether it's a book, a restaurant, a movie, or a business, it's really just meant to provide cliff notes. And similarly, whenever a king is introduced in the Bible, the first few verses about that king are meant to serve as cliff notes for their life. And because this sermon isn't a part of any series, and we don't have plans to go through this book anytime soon, these cliff notes will be extremely helpful in providing context for us this morning. So let's start in verse 1. You can look there. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. So during this time, uh, 
the nation of Israel is split and divided between two kingdoms. You have the ten tribes in the north, which are referred to as Israel, and then you have the two tribes in the south, which is referred to as Judah. And Uzziah precedes his father's throne in the kingdom of Judah. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that he takes the place of his father, right? We all know how monarchy works. If you're the king, when you die, your son becomes king. And then when he dies, his son becomes king, and so on. But what should grab our attention and what should surprise us is the way in which Uzziah precedes his father's throne. Because this didn't happen the normal way. The text says that the people of Judah made him king instead of, or in place of, his father. So how did this happen? Well, we don't have time to get into every single detail this morning. But essentially, King Amaziah started off his reign by following the Lord. And he was prosperous. The people under his authority prospered. But this didn't last forever. Eventually, he turned away from the Lord, and he started to make sacrifices to idols, which eventually started to lead his people into trouble. And people don't like trouble. So during this time, the people of Judah conspired against King Amaziah and put him to death in order to raise his son, Uzziah, to the throne, which is not the way you want to go out. Now, this is pretty serious stuff. Like I said, for the sake of time, we just don't have time to get into it all. But if you've got time this afternoon, go read chapter 25. Because it actually pairs really well with the story of Uzziah that we're going to look at this morning. Okay, so what else do we learn about Uzziah in this first verse? Well, we see that when all this happened, Uzziah was only 16 years old. The text actually tells us that twice. If you look at verse 3, it says, Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. So there we go. We've got another cliff note. We get the context of how long King Uzziah reigns before we learn of any specific thing that he's done. I mean, sure, we get a small tidbit in verse 2 about how he built Eloth and restored it to Judah. But that's it. These first five verses are still introducing us to who he is. We're introduced to his mother and told that she's Decaliah of Jerusalem. And then, finally, we learn the most important thing that we can about a king of Judah. Did he follow the Lord? Before we answer that question, I want you to just imagine with me for a moment that you're King Uzziah. Okay? You're 16 years old. You went through puberty probably not that long ago. You probably can't grow a beard like some people in our church. And then, all of a sudden, your father is killed due to a conspiracy. And you now have the responsibility of leading the people that just killed your dad. The weight of the crown is on your head. What would you do? Would you use your authority to rule as a tyrant? Would you take advantage of and enjoy all the pleasures of being king while ignoring your responsibilities to the detriment of your people? Or would you do what King Uzziah does? Look at verses 4 through 5. How does the 16-year-old king rule? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, 
And he set himself to seek God under the instruction of a man named Zechariah. So Uzziah doesn't start his reign by ignoring or abusing his responsibilities. No, he starts off in the right way. He follows the Lord by learning from Zechariah. And it's important to note here that this is not the Zechariah you may be thinking of. The prophet who wrote the book that's in our Old Testament. This is just a man with the same name. A man who is being faithful by teaching this young king God's good law. And what a wonderful thing for Zechariah to do. And what a wise thing for Uzziah to do. To place yourself under instruction after you've been placed in a position to give instruction. I mean, this is so backwards from the way that the world tells us to use our authority, isn't it? You've come into power? Great. Awesome. Do whatever you can to hold on tight. Never let it go. Don't listen to anybody or anything that would have you loosen your grip on that power. But Uzziah doesn't do that. And neither should we, by the way. All of us need a Zechariah in our life. Because even though none of us are the king of Judah, we all have some type of authority. And listen, it will not help you to keep your head down and charge through this Christian life on your own. We're not meant for that. We're meant to help each other get to heaven, which means that we need to be willing to receive good godly instruction from another Christian who's willing to help us follow Jesus better. And we'll get further into this point a little bit later, but right now my point is that good discipleship keeps us on the right track. And it's what kept Uzziah on the right track. If you look at the end of verse 5, it says, And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Leads us to point number two, Uzziah's prosperity. When you think of what it looks like to prosper today, I wonder what comes to your mind. If you have any type of social media, you've probably seen people showing off their sports cars, their nice homes, uh, maybe their nice house. Maybe their vacations. Really, they could be showing off anything that they can take a picture of and post online. But I'm here to tell you that all of these things pale in comparison when held up against the prosperous life of the king of Judah. Because the king of Judah carries the blessing of the Lord. At least as long as they're obeying his voice. So I want you to hold your spot in 2 Chronicles, but turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 1. And this is describing how God's covenantal blessing works. He says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I commanded you today, The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. This is a promise. And it's a promise that comes to life 
during the reign of King Uzziah because he sought after the Lord. So turn back over to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Look with me to verse 7. Notice the phrase, God helped him. It says the same thing in verse 15, for he was marvelously helped. And one of the biggest signs of prosperity in Uzziah's life is that God helped him gain notoriety as a man of war and great innovation. Verse 6 says that he made war against the Philistines and built cities in their territories. He fought against the Arabians and the Mayunites, and he built towers. That's towers of defense all over Jerusalem. So as far as conquering lands and winning battles go, Uzziah's conquests were pretty impressive. So impressive, actually, that verse 8 tells us he became very strong. And his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, which would have been at the southern border of Israel. This is the type of king the people of Judah wanted. Especially after Uzziah's father started to lead them into trouble, right? I mean, what a rebound. The kingdom that was led so far into ruin that they killed their king was now a battle-winning powerhouse. But that's not all. In verse 10, we see that Uzziah was a man who loved the soil. Which may seem odd at first. We don't often think of a military might as somebody who loves the garden. But Uzziah did. Like Samwise Gamgee, he was skilled with both the sword and the trout. Through all of Uzziah's military excursions, the Lord gave him large herds and farmers to tend those herds. He gave him fertile lands and vine dressers to work those lands. The wealth was abundant, and it keeps on going. Verses 11 through 13 point out that Uzziah's military didn't just get results on the battlefield, but it was intimidating and numerically impressive. He had an army of more than 307,000 soldiers who were fit for war. And these soldiers were under 2,600 commanders. And all of them were equipped with every weapon and piece of armor that they needed. Shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, stones for slinging. Some men even invented new machines to shoot arrows and stones from the defense towers. We can think of this level of might kind of like our president, which I know that that might sound strange at first, but I think that that's because sometimes we forget that the president of the United States is the commander-in-chief. But you know who doesn't forget that? Like ever? The rest of the world. Because they have to constantly examine the president's full power before deciding how to view the U.S. politically. If we had a weak military, it would affect us in a negative way. And the opposite is true, too. When our military is strong, it affects us in a positive way. Like our commander-in-chief, Uzziah is feared as king. As a king with a mighty hand. His fame is spreading because the Lord has given him victory in battle and plenty in land. And this is all the Lord's doing. Then, notice the end of verse 15. 
for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. When Uzziah became strong, he became prideful. And the blessing of the Lord was taken away. Point number three, Uzziah's pride. Have you uh, ever worked a job where a fellow employee has taken the credit for something that you've done? It's kind of the worst. I mean, it could even be for like the smallest thing ever. Maybe you sweep the floor and then your boss comes in and he thanks, you know, your fellow employee rather than thanking you. And of course, the employee doesn't correct him. And if you're a patient guy, maybe that happens like one time and you're cool with it. But if it starts happening over and over and over again, it can become a really big deal. We don't like it because it's un just. And in the same way, but for far more serious reasons, it is unjust to take credit for God's good work, which is exactly what King Uzziah did. Look at verse 16. But when he was strong, he grew proud. Proud of what? Well, proud of everything that God had worked in him. See, you would think that Uzziah, who was raised to fear the Lord, might give God the thanks and the credit due his name. Like, he wins all of these battles, he conquers all of these lands, and he goes to the Lord like, thank you, you have given me the victory. Worthy are you to be praised, all honor and glory to you, God. But he does the exact opposite. He claims the victory for himself, and he takes God's glory. And listen, it's easy to sit on our side of this and think, how dare he? You know, God helped him do all of these things. Without God, where would he be? I know that's what I did when I was first reading through this text. Brothers and sisters, if we're honest with ourselves, do we not often do the same thing? I mean, sure, none of us have conquered nations or built up armies, but we've built businesses, we've acquired knowledge, we've raised children, provided for our family, served our church, evangelized, discipled, and done a number of other things that at one time or another we have taken the credit for. This is pride. This is sin. This is dangerous. Pride left unchecked will lead us to destruction. The story of Uzziah is in the Bible for a reason. It's not just a history lesson. It serves as a warning to us. The path to pride is subtle. It doesn't usually rear its ugly head after one event, though sometimes it can In the case of Uzziah, this was a long time coming. Day by day, year by year, battle after battle, his trust in the Lord faded, and he began to take faith in his own power, which eventually led him to try and usurp the priest's authority in the temple. And man, what a scene this must have been. I want you to just 
imagine with me for a moment that you're the chief priest, Azariah. You're by the temple of the Lord doing your normal priestly duties. When out of the corner of your eye, you see the king. And you've made sacrifices and burned incense on behalf of the king before, so you begin to approach him. But you notice that something's different this time. He's not acknowledging you. In fact, he's already passing you. And he goes into the temple without you. And in disbelief, you try to think of the best way you could stop him. I mean, you could, you could run in. But this is the mighty King Uzziah. So in a hurry, you inform all of the other priests who are great men of valor. And you rush in to stop him. What are you doing? You shout. It's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the sons of Aaron. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Still panting, probably trying to catch your breath from running into the temple, you see the king's face begin to change. He doesn't take well to your rebuke. And with his face turning red, he becomes filled with rage. This is the scene. And there are two questions we need to answer here. One, why is it wrong for Uzziah to burn incense in the first place? And then two, why did he not care that it was wrong? So these can kind of be your two subpoints, if you will. Let's answer that first question. Why was it wrong? Turn with me over to Exodus chapter 30, and let's read verses 7 through 10. Exodus chapter 30, verses 7 through 10. Speaking about the altar of incense, Moses writes, and Aaron shall burn a fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. So I want you to notice the language of authorization here. God cares how we worship him. And we cannot worship him in a way that he is not permitted. In this text, we see clear instruction for how an incense offering is done and who's allowed to do it. Aaron and his sons were the only ones allowed to make this offering. Exodus chapter 29 tells us, and you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. And like our text tells us, Uzziah is not a son of Aaron. And therefore cannot be a priest. And he is not authorized to burn incense on the altar. 
And this same principle applies to us under the new covenant as well. If you're a member of Sixth Avenue, or maybe if you've been visiting for a while, you've probably noticed that everything we do for worship on a Sunday morning uh, is consistent. And I don't mean that we always pray the same prayers, sing the same songs, or read the same scriptures. But I do mean that we always pray, and we always sing, we always read scripture, and we're always going to preach the word. We're never going to take one of those worship elements out of the service. Because in the same way that God under the old covenant authorized a certain way for us to worship him, in the new covenant he has authorized a certain way for us to worship him. And we cannot change that in the same way that Uzziah could not change that. So this leads us to our second question. Why did Uzziah think it was okay? Why did he think that he could change this? When, uh, when I was growing up, my older siblings were often left in charge of me. Um, my parents always told them this. They said, you guys are in charge, and you, Luke, and the rest of my other younger siblings, you need to listen to them. But they wouldn't just leave it at that. You know, they would explain the way that my siblings were in charge of me. They needed to make sure that I was in bed on time. They needed to make sure that I didn't die doing something I wasn't supposed to do which happened often. But my uh, power-hungry siblings sometimes would step outside of their authority. They would tell me that I needed to do chores that probably they were supposed to do. They would tell me that I just needed to leave them alone, give them a minute, or a bunch of other things. Uh, And then they said that I had to listen to them because mom and dad put them in charge. That's not really true. I mean, yes, they were allowed to exercise authority, but they weren't allowed to exercise every kind of authority. Same thing is true for Uzziah. The fact is that Uzziah wasn't satisfied with the authority the Lord gave him, and he wanted more. So he used his title as king to step outside his authority, and enter the temple. And just like so many things that Uzziah did, we can be guilty of doing the same thing. Sometimes, we can cling to our title of authority and use it as an excuse to serve ourselves. Sometimes, we can do things like, God made me king, I have authorization. God made me husband, so I have authorization. God made me parent, so I have authorization. But that's not how it works. These titles are not a justification for us to just do whatever we want. It is possible, husband, to step outside the authority that God has given you. We've said it before, but as husbands, we only ever have the authority of counsel, okay? We can't command our wives to do anything. God can, which is why our job is to pull out the Bible as often as possible and point to it like, listen, God says this, so I think that we should follow God and do this. But we can't say, 
You have to listen to me. This is what we must do with our money. This is where the kids must go to school. What I say goes, no matter what, 100% of the time, because I am husband. If we have that attitude, we begin to step into the authority of God. And we are not God. Even as parents who have the authority of command over our children, it is possible for us to use this parent title as a justification to misuse our authority. The obvious example here is physical abuse. We can't use the rod of discipline as a, as a tool to just accomplish our own selfish desires. We can only use the rod as a way to discipline our children for the benefit of their soul. It's a tool that's meant to serve them, which is why it's so egregious when someone takes that tool and uses it to serve themselves. There are smaller ways that we can misuse our authority as well. While Jonathan Lehman was here, um, he was talking to a group of local pastors, and he told a story about how uh, he and his daughter were sitting down to watch a movie in their home, and he sat down, he got super comfortable His daughter was sitting down. She was super comfortable. And then, because he didn't want to get up, he asked his daughter to go get him a drink of water. And because, you know, he's her dad, she had to listen to him. Because he carries the title of parent. But in that moment, Jonathan admits that even though it was in a small way, He used his authority to serve himself instead of his daughter, which is a misuse of authority. And listen, I know that those are two very different examples on opposite sides of the misuse spectrum. You've got physical abuse and then like, you know, you're uncomfortable and you just want your daughter to get you a glass of water. But my point is not to give you every example of how we as parents can misuse our authority or to parse out all the nuances of different levels of severity of misusing it. My point is to show you that whatever authority you have been given is meant to serve and benefit others. So when we use our authority to serve ourselves, whether big or small, we're using it in a way that God did not authorize us to use it. So we need to be careful. Because King Uzziah was supposed to serve his people. But then his pride wells up within him. And he gives in to the desire to serve himself. Which is why when he's rebuked, he becomes angry. For him, receiving a rebuke feels like a shot to the heart. Like a great injustice has been done against him. Deepak Raju, who's a really experienced and wise biblical counselor, explains why Christians become angry. And I think it applies here to Uzziah. It gets to the heart. He says that people get angry because they're more concerned with a perceived injustice against them than they are with being obedient to God. In other words, instead of accepting correction with humility, we often make ourselves out to be a victim, like we've been wronged, and then respond accordingly. 
So instead of hearing, the Lord does not approve of what you're doing, stop that. And then stopping, Uzziah thinks the priests are wrong. And he becomes angry. Now, I've never met a single person who likes being wrong. But this text is screaming the importance of responding to correction with humility. We receive correction a lot. If you're married, your spouse corrects you. If you're a member here, your pastor and other members will correct you. And if they haven't, uh, you probably just need to be more open with everybody. Because it should be happening all the time. It should be a normal part of the way we live our lives as Christians. We give correction and we receive correction. I mean, things like parenting, that's a tough one sometimes. It's personal. It's easy to think, this is my family. You don't know what works and what doesn't. Just let me do my thing. Finances, again, another personal one. You may think, why do you care how I spend my money? It's my money. Or marriage, especially young couples like me. I'm, I know I look 12, but I am married. <laughs> we don't like hearing uh, that we're wrong and that we could be doing something better. All of these things. I mean, how do we respond? I'm not saying that you're always wrong or that somebody else is always right. But I am saying that our human hearts are inclined to make us think that we're better than we are. So we need to be on guard. If your typical response to correction is to have the conversation with somebody and then walk away thinking that they were wrong to correct you, you might be failing to walk in humility. Because that's just fake humility. To say and do all the right things in the moment, but then allow your heart to be filled with anger and pride for hours after the conversation? Brothers and sisters, it is so easy to forget that Jesus went to the cross because we have nothing to boast about. One of my favorite quotes about humility is from C.J. Mahaney. He says, how can anyone lack humility when standing by the cross? And that word picture is so good because it really does remind us of who we are in the grand scheme of things. I mean, you and I are not responsible for knowing all the answers of life. We are responsible for obeying the answer to life that God gives us in the scriptures. Which means that instead of boasting in all of our worthless accomplishments, we boast in Christ. We must boast in the creator above anything that we've created. We must devote ourselves to service, even if that service is not reciprocated. And we must be willing to submit ourselves to the truth by being willing to be corrected. This is what will protect us from becoming prideful. Adopting a heart of true humility that fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Point number four, Uzziah's punishment. Some people uh, 
they don't experience the consequences of their sin until long after they've committed it. Think of a man who neglects the faithful stewardship of his finances before the bank, after years, finally takes his home away. You can only accrue debt for so long before the bottom falls out from underneath you. But that's just one example. I mean, no matter the sin, eventually you will have to face the consequences, even if it's not in this life. Uzziah is punished for his sin, but it happens immediately. Look at verse 19. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. And behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out. Because the Lord had struck him. And when he became angry, leprosy broke out on his forehead. This was immediate. The great King Uzziah, the man who had won battle after battle, struck down in an instant by the very same God that raised him to power. Oh, how quickly the scene changes. All of the priests who are standing in the temple waiting to see how they're going to respond to Uzziah's anger when, boom, all of a sudden God steps in and punishes the king for his proud heart. Now, if you don't know what leprosy is, it's a disease of the skin. And it begins to break out starting on Uzziah's forehead where everyone can see it. And if you know your Old Testament you know that there are a lot of restrictions for people who have this disease. Someone who has leprosy is considered unclean. So what do the priests do? Well, they start by taking him outside the temple because he can't be in the presence of God, obviously. But then he must be taken outside of his own house because with this disease, he can't be in the presence of his people either. Look at verse 21. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house. For he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Interesting, isn't it? Uzziah attempts to take authority in the house of the Lord, and the Lord takes away authority from the house of Uzziah. God gives all management and authority to his son, Jotham. And Uzziah dies a leper. Because of his pride, Uzziah thought that he could be a priest. But he couldn't. He assumed his strength as king would never leave him. But it did. His punishment came because just like you and just like me, he was a sinner. Even as he held the censer in his hand, he had a choice 
He could have responded to the priest's rebuke with humility. He could have remembered to fear the Lord. But he held on to his pride. And he left the temple unclean. If you're here this morning, and you are not a Christian, you have a similar choice. Because Jesus Christ came to earth to make a way for you to be clean. In Christ, in Christ, we have a perfect king. And we have a great high priest who lived a sinless life, a perfect life that we could not. And not only that, but instead of just ascending to his heavenly throne and judging us and giving us the punishment for our sin that we so rightly deserve, he humbled himself on the cross and took the punishment for our sin. Then he rose again three days later to offer us salvation if we repent from our sins and trust in him. Don't hold on to your pride this morning. You're going to meet God one day. It's really going to happen. You're going to stand before the Lord, the creator of the entire universe. And what are you going to offer him? What are you going to be holding on to? All the good things that you've done in this life? Scripture says that those are filthy rags. All the people that you loved and cared about? It's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. And if you don't have Jesus Christ, if you don't trust in him, if you choose to leave this service unclean, you will be sent to hell. And I don't, I don't want that for you. I want you to know the love of Christ in a real way. And I want you to cling to it for your salvation. So please... Believe it and repent from your sins. Because on the final day, our only boast will be in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we know that every good gift is from you. Everything we have in this life, it's meant to glorify you and to serve others. So we ask that you would help us do that as we leave this place. God, don't let us cling to our own works. I was cling to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.